0: Let's just pray, shall we? Let's close our eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, we thank you for the awesome privilege that it is to come together today and to worship you and to, to hear you speak to us. And we just open up our hearts right now. Lord God, we ask that you speak to us a word in season. Father God, I ask that you speak through me and that I speak the words that you have to say. And for each one of us, Lord God, that there would be that right word that would leave us not the same as we came in, but that would affect us and change us as we go out today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 We're not supposed to leave church the same as when we came in. We're supposed to encounter God and meet with God and grow and learn so that when we leave, we leave different, ready to go and be church. Because we're not called to come to church. We're called to come (laughs) together, encourage each other, learn and grow and then go out in the world and be church and be salt and light. So I know I'm not the usual speaker, but today, just say, okay, God, speak to me. Do something in my heart today so that I can better go out there and be the salt and light better than when I came in, because that's what we come to church to do at the end of the day. Um, So many of you don't know a huge amount about me. I grew up in a faith church really similar to this, Um, And actually, the bad thing about that is I learned from a very young age not to be real with people. I learned to confess all the good stuff, all the truth about the Bible. I could confess a million things, but I learned to hide how I really felt and what was really going on in my life because I was under the impression, no one ever told me this, I come from an amazing church, but the impression that I got because I wasn't taught anything different was that if I showed sin, or sickness, or upset, or things going wrong in my life, that it meant I was sinning, because what I was doing wasn't matching what I was saying. So I learned really quickly to put on a show for people at church, and I went through some really rough times as a kid. I come from a pretty broken family, and I learned to hide everything that was going on in my life, because what I was confessing didn't match up with the reality of what I was living. Um, I was a pastor's kid, which meant everyone was watching me even more. So every word that I spoke was deliberately a faith word. It was deliberately a confession of something good. Whether I really believed it or not, I knew what to say, and I knew what not to say. And I had a massive conversation with a friend the other day, and her impression of faith churches was that we are not real, but we're people that just speak a load of stuff that it doesn't really influence our lives, but we've been taught to speak. And um, it was a really challenging conversation. Um, and I wondered how much I do that. How much do I speak without being real? Or how much do I speak and actually believe it? And uh, so we're going to look at that a little bit today about when things go wrong. Um, I, as a uh, teenager saw loads of healings I saw tumors disappeared I saw people with eyesight problems being healed I saw people getting out of wheelchairs all the time that this happened this was over a period of about five years I had problems with my wrists and I was in a lot of pain I had to wear splints on both my wrists at all times I would struggle to pick up a glass of water and all the time that I had this pain I was praying for people and seeing them healed And to me, the two things just didn't add up because I was supposed to be walking in this revelation of healing and yet I had these massive problems. Um, Abraham, he's a man of faith in the Bible. He's noted for being a man of faith. But he couldn't have kids. So how does that match up? He's a man of faith, but yet there he is without being able to have kids. David, we know him as a mighty king. He wrestled with lions and bears he won all these victories over, David, over Goliath. But actually, he had to wrestle with bears and lions. They were things he had to go through. He didn't just suddenly have a victory without having to walk through anything. He had to walk through those battles. And we sometimes forget, looking at these heroes in the Bible, we remember all their victories and we remember them for all the amazing things they did, but we forget that they had to walk through these trials. Joseph. He was hated by his brothers. He was despised by his brothers. He had some huge relationship issues. Um, He was sold. He was falsely accused. He was imprisoned. Now, we all remember the stories, and we kind of glamorize them a little bit, of this man of the Bible that went through all this stuff, but he went through all this stuff. He was in the prison day after day after day when he shouldn't have even been there. And sometimes it can feel like that for us, that we have to go through all this stuff day after day after day, and we shouldn't even be there. We shouldn't even be going through that stuff. Does anyone else ever feel like that? You know, I heard once, and I cannot remember the statistics or where it's from, but when you're listening to someone speak, if you engage by responding, you learn more, and you get more revelation from it, and then you're more likely to go and live it out. So if you are serious about coming to church today and learning to go live out, then I want to hear some response.
1: Is
0: that all right? Brilliant. (laughs) Um, Paul, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's look at Paul a minute. Uh, Verses 23 to 27. It says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from the rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food, But I have been, and I have been cold and naked. We know Paul is this mighty man of God and this apostle, and he wrote these incredible letters, and we use them to shape our lives, but that was his daily life.
1: Yeah.
0: He lived that every day. All of that stuff, being shit-wrecked, being beaten, being stoned, being whipped. That's his daily life. Let's not glamorise the people in the Bible. They are mighty men and women of God, and we read all about them, and what what we read about them shapes our lives and helps us. But they went through problems. Let's not pretend that, as Christians... (laughs) We don't have problems. Yes, we have prosperity teaching and we have healing and we are more than conquerors. But actually, we go through stuff, and it's not a sin to go through stuff. That's it's all this stuff about Paul. It doesn't undermine his letters. It doesn't undermine his teaching. In fact, for me, it makes it stronger mm-hmm. because I think if he can go through that and still say rejoice in the Lord always, there's got to be yes. something to it. Come on. There's got to be something to it. So, Jesus was born in a borrowed stable. Prosperity, yes, Jesus was born in a borrowed stable. He was also buried in a borrowed tomb. That's really hard to say. His friends abandoned him. People tried to kill him. This is Jesus, the man that had so much faith, the man that knew exactly the right words to say. He went through this stuff as well. Have I made my point? (laughs) Yes. Psalm 34:19 says, "Many are the afflictions of the righteous. When you are righteous, you have many afflictions." Is anyone righteous here? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You have many afflictions. I'm sorry to bring bad news to you today, but you know, Jesus said in John 16, "In this world, you will have trouble." Yes. Yeah. He then says, "But fear not, but he says, you will have trouble." And yeah. <laughs> um, you need armor for a reason. We don't have the armor of God for no just to look shiny and keep it polished and glisten as we walk down the street in clunky armor. It, to be honest, it probably doesn't look very good. Um, you need armor for a reason. We need to fight for a reason. I um, have a friend who's been one of my closest friends for about seven years, and she's not a Christian. And I decided from the moment I met her that I was going to be real with her. I wasn't going to show her a fake happy clappy Christianity. But I was going to show her when, her when I was sick. But you know what? She's seen when I've been healed. Yes. I yes. was going to show her when I had no money and couldn't go to the cinema with her. But you know what? She's seen God provide miraculously for me. I was real with her. And we're called to shine like stars. And you need to have something to shine for. You need to be a Christian. You need to be salt and light. And that means you're there to change and affect. But you're there... Going through the trials, you're there going through the problems. Okay. God is more concerned with your character than just keeping you happy. We can ask God, Lord, make my life easy. Let's have a wonderful life. Let's have prosperity and let's have loads of blessings. And that's that's true, that's in the word. But God is more concerned with your character than giving you everything that you want. So he will allow you to walk through things sure. so that your character is developed and trained. Because when you have a greater character, you can hold a greater anointing. Yes. Um, Psalm 18 verse 34 in the truth version says, he trains me for battle so that I can do what in the natural would be impossible for me. I want to do some things that in the natural would be impossible for me. So that means I need to be trained for battle. And where do you get trained? So, (laughs) when trials happen, what do we do? How do we be that light? How do we be the salt? How do we leave a good flavor and a good taste in the people that we meet when we are going through a horrible time? Because we all have horrible times. Whether you're going through one right now, or whether at the moment you feel like you're in cloud nine at some point, you're going to be going through a situation. So what do we do? First of all, you know that God is working on your character, that he works everything for your good, so you rejoice in that. That Philippians 4.4, as I've mentioned, says rejoice always. This is written by Paul and Timothy, who have been imprisoned, and they said rejoice in the Lord always. Hebrews 10, verse 32 to 34. Let's turn there. I'm deliberately going to use a lot of scriptures today. <laughs> so I hope you have your Bible. Hebrews 10, 32 to 34. It says, Remember those early days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Mm. Are you joyfully accepting the things that are going on in your life? Ouch. (laughs) That's a massive challenge. Are you joyfully accepting when you don't have a job? Are you joyfully accepting when you have an accident or when you're sick? Are you joyfully accepting things that are going on in your family? Not that God put those situations, made those situations happen to you, but they've happened, and now it's about your attitudes. Not that God can't instantly and miraculously change the situation around, and I've seen him do that many, many times, but are you rejoicing? in that situation. You know, in, with Paul getting shipwrecked, I'm sure God could have held that boat together and stopped him being shipwrecked. God is more than able. But what did Paul say? He says, rejoice always. So are you rejoicing? Mm. Joyce Meyer says, you can be pitiful or powerful, but you cannot be both. Yes. Are you being pitiful or are you being powerful? That's a real challenge. <laughs> um, your attitude determines your altitude. That is one of my favourite sayings. I heard once um, when I was younger that praise lifts you above the clouds. So the storm clouds are still there, but when you praise, it lifts you above them. I am not a pilot. I don't know if Alistair's here. I really hope he's not, so he can't correct me if I'm wrong. But pilots, from what I know, <laughs> pilots fly above where all the turbulence are is. They fly above where the air is clearer for a reason. And the sooner you rejoice, the sooner you change your attitude and get higher, the sooner you're going to get to where you need to go. A plane flies a lot slower in turbulence. And where there's loads of disruption, you're going to go slower. But if you praise, God inhabits the praises of his people. I want God to inhabit me in my situation. So when you praise, you lift yourself above the situation, above the clouds, and you end up getting to where you're going a lot faster. And that might be a bit of character change. And the quicker you get there, the quicker you can get out of that situation. If praise helps you get out of that situation faster, I am going to praise day and night. Don't know about anyone else. Um, I read recently, Victor E. Frankel, he's a survivor from a Nazi concentration camp. And he said, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. He was in a Nazi concentration camp, and he said, you know what? I can still choose my attitude today. I can still choose what I'm thinking about, what I'm speaking. Am I praising or am I feeling sorry for yourself? You can still choose that, and if that guy can choose in a Nazi concentration camp to rejoice, then we can
1: yeah.
0: You are free to choose your attitude. Joy is a choice. Yeah. Joy isn't a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Joy is a choice. Are you choosing to rejoice? Psalm, 30, Psalm 43 we read in the readings this week. And the writer of the Psalms tells his soul to rejoice. It's countless throughout the book of Psalms. You tell your soul to rejoice. You say, right, I choose right now to rejoice. Not dependent on the circumstance, but knowing who my God is, I will rejoice in him. Now, this is the bit that I like. Why do we rejoice? Why can we have a good attitude in it? Yes, God is working on our character because he's the king of kings and lord of lords. But let's turn to Hebrews 1, chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, sorry. says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, in all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Do you know what? I love this verse. It's really wordy, but I love it, because it says who God is, and then the fact that he provided purifications for our sin. So he did everything on the cross. He died for us he, to set us free from sin, from fear, from pain, from sickness, from shame, from anything that you encounter. He died on the cross to set you free from that. His blood was shed to set you free from that. And then what does it say? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why did he sit down? Because he'd done it all. That's it. You don't sit down when you've got work to do. Yes. He sat down because he'd done it. He'd done it all. And what's more, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. These are really well-known scriptures, but it's good to be reminded of them. It says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms. So not only did Jesus die on the cross for everything that you could go through, then he sat down because it was done. And then when you became a Christian, what did he do? He raised you up, sat you down right next to him because do you know what? It's done for you too. You don't need to fight. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Yes, It's done. So whatever situation you're going through or will go through, it's done. He's already done it. You don't need to fight through the situation. You have the victory already. That's why you can rejoice. Even when circumstances look like, do you know what, I don't have the victory in this? You have the victory in this. Because it's done, he sat down, and sometimes you just need to remind yourself of that. Because what the enemy wants to do, if he can't outright deceive you and pull you down and attack you, and if he can't outright stop you, he'll try and slowly but surely whittle you down so that you don't feel like you can fight anymore. And so you get to the point where you're, I can't do this, and he tries to little bit at a time. He tries to wear you down. So sometimes you need to remind yourself: in this situation, I have the victory. He has won um, I shared at the last uh, week of prayer and fasting about this but 2 Corinthians 2.14 it says he leads us in triumphant procession and this is now one of my all time favourite verses because I had massive revelation on this a few months ago in one version, it says he leads us in a continual victory parade. So let's just imagine right now that Man United have won. Pastor Alan loves this now. <laughs> what do they do when they've won the cup, the tournament, whatever it No a massive football fan, can you tell? What do they do? They go on a victory parade through the streets. They get in their big bus and they get banners and people line the streets. And they go down the street in a victory parade. Jesus leads us in a victory parade every day, a continual victory parade every single day. I want you to imagine what you're going through right now and a road that you have to walk that road. I want you to imagine it. But imagine yourself riding that victory bus with people lying in the streets cheering you on because you have won. You have the victory. He's won the victory for you. Isn't that an amazing picture? Can you imagine just... I love it. (laughs) Can I... Powell, can I borrow you? Can I borrow you? Can you come on stage for me? I need you to be very tall and big. (laughs) Um, You can just uh, come this side, actually. Um, I'm really sorry, but you're the devil right now. (laughs) Just do love me. So... God has disarmed him and defeated him, right? So, Helix, can you he be intimidating and scary for me for a second? <laughs> I don't think he can, he's too nice. There we go, okay, okay. <laughs> intimidating. He had no warning about this, I should have prepped him. Um, so God has disarmed the enemy. So yeah, keep your hands behind your back, you can't do it. He's disarmed. Can you be threatening to me again? But no arms. looks a bit silly right now rather than a bit threatening. But he's also defeated him. So let's take off your feet. Can you kneel down, please? This is what the enemy looks like. Because Jesus has defeated everything that he can throw at you already. And he's leading you in a victory parade because the enemy is disarmed and defeated. Imagine yourself in that victory parade with the enemy looking like that. What can he throw at you now? What can he throw at you? No sickness, no illness, no disease, no financial problems, no relationship problems. Mm-hmm. That's what the enemy looks like. He has no power over you. Thank you, you can sit down. <laughs> just... Pastor Claire spoke um, a little while ago about the enemy being a prowling, prowling lion. That he can't actually do much because he looks like that. He can't actually do much. As long as you keep yourself in that victory parade, keep yourself in Christ Jesus, he can't actually do that much. We still go through things. yeah, But he can't actually touch you. You're a child of God. He cannot touch you. And I am determined in the children's and youth work to not uh, bubble wrap the children and youth. I'm determined to teach them the tools that they need to live life as a light and not get bogged down by all the things that go wrong and not get swayed to the left and the right because situations might not look that great. Mm. I'm going off track. I get excited. Romans 8.37 in the truth says, In all things we are more than victorious through him, for he has already won the victory for us. So we have to lay hold of this victory by faith. Because when you go through a situation, your situation is still your situation. So you have to lay hold of that victory through faith. You have to believe it. Even if you can't see right now that you are healed, that you have all that you need, that the relationship is turned around, even though you can't see it in what we call reality, you have to take hold of it by faith because he has won it. And this, for me, as a child, was the thing that was missing. And this is why I felt like I needed to be fake. Because no one taught me about laying hold of of that victory in faith and confessing in faith. We're not to be fake, but we're to have faith. And there's a big difference between the two. (laughs) Ephesians 6.16 talks about the armour of God and... One of those things is to have a shield of faith. And the shield of faith protects you from the arrows, from everything that the enemy throws at you. It's the faith that protects you. So you need to lay hold of the victory by faith. Are you understanding this link? Okay. So you need to rejoice. You need to see yourself in a victory parade. And you do need to watch what you say when you are going through a trial. You need to have the right confession by faith. James 3 talks about how your words have power. And they have power of life and they have power of death. And you choose what it is that you say, whether you say life or whether you say death. You can't keep speaking negatively about a situation and expect God to supernaturally intervene because he's given you the authority. He's set you in high places for you to walk out the plans of God for your life. He's won it, but then he's given the authority to you and he said take hold of it by faith and walk it out. So you have to confess the right things over your life. If you are confessing all the time, I have no money, I have no money, I have no money, I can't do this because I have no money, guess what? You have no money. Um, And I've known God to completely change those situations when I've spoken negatively about things, and God's come along and going, I still love you, have some money. But I learned very, 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 very quickly that the situation changes a lot faster, and I'm a much better witness if I speak the right things out by Faith, laying hold of it by faith. Um, Luke six forty five says, Out of overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's in your heart? Because what's in your heart is what will come out. That's right. Faith speaks intentionally about a situation. Don't use your words to describe what's going on. Use your words to dictate what's going on.
1: Yes.
0: And that is by faith. You dictate what goes on in your life. Yes,
1: yes.
0: yes. Um, many of you know that I was really ill last year, um, and I got healed at faith cancer nearly a year ago now. Um, and I was not ill for a long. I was ill for a long, long time, and not feeling very good. But very few of you were aware of that as I was going through it because I refused to confess over my life the pain that I was in and how ill I felt. I refused to speak it out because, do you know what? When you're not well, this is why I think men have man flu, the more you talk about it, the more you talk about it, the worse you feel. I'm really sorry, men. But but seriously, though, this is a valid point. Women, mothers, wives... Have to get up and carry on with their daily lives no matter what you feel like, and so they often get colds a lot. What seems a lot gentler, but actually they don't talk about. Oh, I feel awful today. Oh, my throat. Oh, my head. Oh, no, no, no. The more you talk about it, the worse you feel. <laughs> I think I'm in trouble. <laughs> um, use your words to change the situation. Who are you speaking to with your words? Are you speaking to everybody else or are you speaking to God? Who is the first person you go to when someone yells at you and you get upset? Do you quickly call your best friend or do you go to your Heavenly Father who has the power to change that situation? Who is it that you go to first? Um, Hebrews four sixteen says, "Approach God's throne of grace confidently, that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need." The grace and the mercy and the help doesn't come from your friends or your colleagues or your parents. It comes from God. So who do you go to first? If I'm in a situation, I want to go straight to God because I want to get help straight away. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You can't do it in your own strength. Look at David wrestling lions and bears. He can't do it in his own strength. He did it by the Spirit. And we're called to go to God first. Tell him about your problem, but then tell your problem about your God. And how much bigger your God is than your problem. Go to God first. Talk to him. Get the faith that you need. And then tell your problem how big your God is. Tell your problem where to go. Because your God is bigger, your God is greater. Why do we have a victory parade? Because he's won. Why are we seated in heavenly places with him? Because he's won. Nothing can match God. It doesn't matter how big your problem seems, God is bigger. For every need that you have, God is bigger. And someone today needs to hear that, that God is bigger. And you might feel like you're an emotional roller coaster with what you're going through, and it feels up and down. But God is bigger than that, and God is steady, and God is peace, and God is the calm in your storm.
1: That's right. That's
0: right. He's That's the thing right. that anchors you. Jesus. We were singing that song earlier, that he's the cornerstone, he's the rock that you stand on. He's the anchor that holds you in the storm. Who do you go to first? Go to God. Philippians 4, 6, after they said, Rejoice always. It says, present your request to God. So have you got your attitude right? Are you rejoicing? Are you seeing yourself on that victory parade? And are you going to God rather than other people and speaking truth? Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Do you, do you whack out prayer when you're in a situation and go, oh, I don't know what else to do. Quick, put the spare tire on and off we go. And use that to keep on going? Or is it your steering wheel? Do you use prayer? Do you go to God and pray? Do you speak with authority over situations every day of your life? Or do you just quickly pray when things go wrong? I know when things go wrong for me, my prayer levels go up. If my prayer levels can go up, that means I have room in my life to pray more. That should be a daily occurrence to be praying at that level. And that's a real challenge for me. I'm preaching to myself right now. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? What are your foundations on? Is it that cornerstone? What is your cornerstone? Is it that you go to God? The almighty, amazing, incredible, powerful, indescribable God... That's who you live with. That's who you reign with. That's who you're seated with. No problem is too big for him. Do you go to him? Are your foundations in the word? When I was praying about today, um, God showed me this absolutely glorious mansion of a house, and it was like a tower mansion. It was massive. I can't even describe this building. And at the top was a banner of victory declaring the name of Jesus. And as I looked down, God showed me that the foundations of this building were deep and strong and wide. And as a storm came, that, that tower didn't fall down. That building did not fall down. The name of Jesus was lifted high when the storm came. And next to it was this puny little building that sound familiar, like a parable in the Bible about the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Um, If your foundations are not strong in God and in the word and in who you are in Christ Jesus, when the storm comes, you're going to be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And even if your building has a banner of victory and says the name of Jesus all over it, even if you've made it look pretty, if your foundations are not strong, that building is going to collapse and the name of Jesus isn't going to be lifted high because it's going to be in a pile of rubble. Obviously that name of Jesus is always lifted high, but you understand the analogy. So what are your foundations built on? Do you go to Jesus first? Do you confess the word? Is prayer pray your steering wheel? Do you get in the word every day? Because i tell you what, you can't dig foundations in a storm. The foundations have to be dug beforehand. So you might not be going through a really troubling time right now, but you might one day, and you better make sure that your foundations are strong now. Get in the Word and find your gems. Find the words that you stick to. When things go wrong, find the words that you can stand on. Maybe you find yourself getting sick a lot. Find the words in the Bible that you can stand on when you do not feel well and you do not want to get out of bed. Maybe maybe you can't have kids. Maybe your kids have a lot of problems. Find the Word of God for you, for that situation, to stand on. There are some amazing, the whole Bible is amazing, but there are some really amazing passages in the Bible. You know, Psalm 18, 25 says, to the faithful he shows himself faithful. Maybe your work situation sucks. Maybe you do not want to be there. But you know what? To the faithful, God shows himself faithful. So be faithful in the trials, because he's working on your character, he's bringing glory to his name who's preparing you for battles. Revelation twelve eleven says, but they overcame him through the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You will overcome whatever it is that you're going through because the blood of the lamb, Jesus has done it on the cross and then it's up to you to speak it out and to testify about that with what you say. Um, let's look at James 1, 12 to finish. Exodus 14.14 says the Lord will fight for you. In fact, he's already done it. He's already fought for you. You've already got that victory parade. Anyway, James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. persevere. Don't give up. Don't let it bring you down, but keep rejoicing. Keep lifting yourself up. Persevere, because you will receive a crown of life. If you need encouragement, do a Bible study on rewards in heaven. Look up the crown of life, and you'll see that it is worth persevering. It is worth going through. Has that been encouraging today? apart from the fact that I spent 10 minutes telling you how awful life is and that you're going to go through trials. I want us to um, just respond now. Um, I know that some of you are going through some situations and although I've talked about the fact that you need to persevere and go through them, I believe that this morning God wants to break some of the situations that you've been in. And you will start seeing a change from today onwards. Some situations will start to be turned around. I believe there are some relationships that God wants to start mending. And that might be you taking the first step and asking for forgiveness, whether you've done something wrong or not. I believe this morning that there is some sickness in here that has been ongoing, whether it's a disability or an illness or a sickness. And I believe this morning, God wants to break that. I believe there are people here with financial problems and problems at work And this morning, God wants to start to turn that situation around for you. You're still going to have to walk these things out because God is working on your character and he wants to see you rejoice. But this morning is going to be the start of a change for some of us. Let's just stand up and let's just get before God. And some of you need to start declaring the truth that you know and laying hold of it by faith. For some of you, you've kind of had a lot of head knowledge and it's not become a reality for you. And this morning, God goes, I want it to be a reality for you. So as we start worshipping, just talk to God. Declare some stuff. Ask for forgiveness where you've had a bad attitude. And make a choice to praise him. Make a choice that you're going to keep going no matter what. Some of you need to see yourself in that victory parade. You need to walk out of here knowing that the enemy is disarmed and defeated. Let's just let's just talk to God a bit.
1: You know, this is this is the kind of stuff we're feeding our children with. Okay? And you know one of the things that I've noticed how God sometimes does, you know. We, we like things on our terms, the way it fits with us. So God will often use a messenger or someone who gets right up our nose, you know, that gets right in our face to speak the very word that we need to hear because we have a choice in whether we believe God has spoken or whether we can ignore it because of who brings it to us. One of the hardest things we have in life is that decision or whether we will take offense or whether we will take the word and speak to the situation. Okay? God doesn't have any problem in supplying finances. But when we don't have finances, we get offended by the prosperity message. When we are sick we get offended by the healing messages. When we don't know God, we are offended by the salvation message. When we are in wrong relationships, we get offended by a message on right relationships. It is the message tests our heart. It divides between spirit and soul, the very thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. But what God does is He gives us a picture of Himself so that we will then address the issue with who we know our God to be. So I just want you to close your heart Close your mind, sorry. Open your heart. (laughs) Close your eyes. Open your heart. And I want you to speak and address the situation with what you know about your God. He is the God who makes me teachable when, frankly, I want to close people out, close people off. So He gives me a teachable heart because that's what I need. When I think I cannot I've had enough of people, I declare most of the time that he has given me a, a heart of love to love people. What is your issue? Maybe it's pride, pride that stops you from receiving what God wants you to give God uh, wants to give you. And you just need this, this morning to say, Father, I agree with the journey. And I agree with the outcome. I say yes to you, even using the circumstances, training me through the circumstances. Because I know that you are the God who only does what's good for me. And so I say no to the things of the enemy. And I say yes to the things that you place in front of me because I want to know your full salvation, your full provision, your every kind of grace, not just one or two of them, Lord. So in Jesus' name, I submit myself to you, Father, Heavenly Father if you don't know Jesus this morning as that Lord and Savior, if you don't know whether, if you died right now, whether you'd be in heaven, then there's something that you need to receive. Here as a surrender that has to come where you go, Jesus, what I know about you, I want to know as a reality. I know that you live, but I want to know the living God. And if you don't know him right now, I just invite you, just open your heart and just say, Lord Jesus, I want to know you the way that I've heard about you. As a personal God, as a, the Lord of my life, I want you with all that you've done for me to become reality in my life. And I'm saying yes to you, Jesus. I'm putting my trust, my faith, my hope in you. And today I give you my life and I'm asking for your life in exchange. But if you've allowed circumstance to offend you, people to offend you, there's a real simple thing called repentance where you say, Jesus, forgive me. I really didn't understand what was going on. I've looked at people, I've blamed situations, I've even used scripture as a way to avoid these things. But Jesus, you're my Lord and you're my Savior. And Lord, I ask you to rescue me from myself today. I believe there's parents here that you're Right now, even the God's just creating, just forming ideas in your mind about how to speak into your children. Whether it's your daughters or maybe even your, your, your wife with a uh, time of the month where actually there's pain and problems, where actually you need to speak calm and peace rather than getting frustrated with the disabling effects of that. As fathers, we control the spiritual destiny of our households by our words. We call our women weak, they'll be weak. Inferior, they'll be inferior. But if we'll receive the word of the God from them and for them, then we become the men We're supposed to be Heavenly Father, just work that into hearts, into marriages right now, into fathers for their daughters, into children. Whatever God says is more important than any father. My children listening to the Lord is more important than what I've got to say. I've taught them to listen to the Lord. And I've also learned to listen to the Lord through them. And so I just, there's, there's folks here, your parents have spoken stuff over you. And I break the curse of those words. In Jesus' name, you are not who your parents define you to be, you are who the Lord defines you to be. And we break the effects of that, the generational curse of trying to conform to the desires of our parents instead of to the Lord. We honor our parents. But we do not live by their desires. We live by the Lord's desires. And I believe there's there's, there's, there's men here. You need to hear this from the Lord. You are not the source of your family's income. The Lord is your family's source. And we break off you that wrong responsibility. Yes, a man must work. It's not an abdication of responsibility. But God placed us here with Him as our source. And as wives, you're looking for your husbands to provide for you instead of the Lord. And that's why you're struggling as a family. Because your man is the wrong source. And we break that wrong burden. We are equally yoked. Yoked with Christ and yoked with one another in our marriages. And so we speak that equality. We speak that right direction, but there's still a lead. It's first the Lord, then the husband. But the wife is right there beside him, leading the way with him. And we speak that into parents, into families. Right now, that just speak that peace. Great will be your peace of your children. They will be taught by the Lord. Fathers, do not frustrate your children. Children, obey your parents. There's a double thing here. And we speak an ease in that right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Jesus.